0: Welcome to Mind Mindbending Leadership. My name is Seth Campbell. I'm your host, and my mission is to equip you with real-world tactics to improve your leadership skills, build your wealth, and cause you to leave a multi-generational impact on your world. Today is episode five. I'm going to reserve the title until we get a little bit later into it. Here's the deal, though. This is a very common and difficult leadership moment. It is perhaps the most common conversation I have when working with leaders and coaching, consulting them, working with people that I work with inside my organizations. And it is quite simply put, how do you address performance issues? And hopefully like any mind-bending leadership episode, you've brought your pen and paper. You're ready to take some notes. You went out and bought yourself a nice mind-bending leadership notebook from the dollar store, and you can keep your notes inside of that, whatever. How do you address performance issues? So I want you to write down because You'll find with all the mind bidding leadership episodes, I think I can safely say all of them, they do have application across many channels. In fact, I got a message from somebody saying, Hey, I'm really excited about the podcast. I really like what I'm hearing. Although I'm not in leadership and I'm like, time out, you are in leadership. Everybody's in leadership and someplace, some way at home, if you're a parent, in your church, in your community. Leadership is simply look behind you. Are there people watching you that want to learn from you or are supposed to learn from you? or influenced by you you're a leader so here's the application i'll give you a couple of them just write this down does this have work application how do you address performance issues yes check does it have home life applications how do you address performance issues write down kids anybody have kids in parenting yes check write down spouse cross that out we're not gonna deal with performance issues with spouse so don't go there i want to say that right up front There is no such thing as performance issues with a spouse. And if there were, we will not talk about it. So do not do this. This is not applicable, (laughs) this conversation with your spouse or significant other, no matter how much you would be tempted to go there, your kids or any minors you're in charge of fair game, performance issues. So what brought this up? Like I said, this is a very common conversation. I deal with it all the time. And I was in a conversation this week with a a great leader that I consult and, and it came up again, I deal with this performance issues and I have this person and it wasn't a real serious one, yet it was down the same path. And what I recognize maybe a hundred percent of the time is when we're confronted as a leader with, I've got this other person who's not really performing, hitting numbers, doing what I expect, doing what we thought. It's not working out. Sometimes a new hire. Sometimes it's somebody that was doing really well for a long time and has slipped because stuff's going on. It happens. There tends to be this internal dialogue that we deal with as leaders. Some leans toward ignoring the conversation, and we have a rule about running the conversations. Yet there's this internal dialogue, and it tends to be the first stab is, I think it's my fault. And I like that. I agree with that. And I also do coach and consult and train leaders in the ones I work with my organizations. It's not always your fault, although it is always your fault because everything rises and falls on leadership. You can't use that as a reason and not take action. So let's, however, let's explore that. It tends to be these three channels. I think it's my fault. And that branches into two different ones. I didn't really follow up. I didn't double check. I didn't follow through. I didn't hold them accountable. Or... I didn't train them enough. And then the second branch tends to be, or the second channel it tends to be is maybe there's any more time. Uh, maybe the deadline was the issue or they're getting close. They're trending that direction. I, I probably need to be a little more patient, give them a little bit more time. And then the the third alternative, is it the right person or is it the wrong person? So let's deal with that. And, and let's walk through that progression and mind-bending leadership. And I promise you there's going to be a part here where it really will be a mind-bending leadership as usually is the custom because this is about real world leadership. And I got to tell you in all my years, I say it all the time. For some reason, this stuff is not really taught. It's not taught in schools. I've had a number of MBAs that have worked for me, worked with me, say like they didn't teach this one in class. I learned more in this last conversation, this last six months than I did in all those years in school. And it's because real world, you pay attention, you pay attention to other great leaders and you see how to navigate this stuff. So I'm going to throw what might be a curveball to some of you, the mind bend as we progress through this. So let's start with the first one, the leader thinking, all right, this person's not performing. I think it's my fault. I didn't really follow up, didn't have enough accountability or didn't offer training. So let's talk about the first one. No follow-up. Is it my fault, Seth? Maybe. It might be your fault. I'm going to ask them a couple of questions. To determine if it is their fault, I'm going to say, what's the person's goal? And what I'm listening for there. So you, you might want to write these down as to take yourself through these questions. If you don't have me to talk to you or somebody to talk to you that would take you through this path, is it my fault? This person's not performing, their numbers have slipped, or they haven't ever hit the number. Is it my fault? I'm going to ask, what's the goal? Here's exactly what I'm listening for. Is it an opinion or is it clear? An opinion is, Improve my systems, help us be more efficient. That's an opinion. I think you did it. I don't think you did it. Clear is like a number 10 is 10, nine is not 10. 10 is 10, nine is not 10. Eight is not 10. So, what's the goal? I'm listening for crystal clarity. And if the person rambles, well, it's this hodgepodge, I'm going to put myself in the person's shoes and say, okay. That's a lot of opinion. It's a little bit open for interpretation. And it's difficult to do in some roles. I get that because there are qualitative roles out there. Yet as a leader, you must find your way to put measurement on qualitative things. And I think it's possible. I have struggled in some areas, and yet I have witnessed in the real world, you can put measurement on qualitative things qualitative things is customer service. Can we measure that? Yeah, we can do a scoring. We can do a net promoter score. And as long as you use a consistent measurement, there are, it's an opinion, yet it becomes a quantitative measure that's consistent of a qualitative things. So I'm looking for clarity. Is it an opinion or is it clear? 10 is 10, nine is not 10. The next thing I'm listening for inside of what's the goal, is it moving or is it stable? And what I mean by that man i see it so often leaders set these moving targets and i used to be guilty of that years ago hopefully i'm not as much anymore and what i mean by the moving target because many of us as we're in charge of these organizations we're a little add we're all over the place and we like solve one thing we move to the next and the next and we're thinking five moves at once and it becomes this moving target like today this week it's all about fixing these numbers or fixing this putting out this fire, and and I'm grading you on how well you do that, and then next week, it's all about this other thing, and I'm grading you on how you do that, and somehow I blend it together in my mind that your performance is lacking, and yet this person, I essentially am creating a moving target. Sometimes it's the same goal, it's this certain number, it's a recruiting number, or it's a sales number, and yet I keep changing, I keep cranking the dial up on them which is not abnormal yet. If I'm doing that right before they're hitting or as they're hitting without them co-authoring that with me, I might be moving into moving target land. And go back to sports. What if we were all playing football, basketball, anything? What if it's football? And during the game, they kept changing how you score points. At some point, it can be very frustrating. It certainly is not going to build skill it's going to build flexibility it's going to build your resistance to frustration yet at some point you might be winning and losing and we got to be careful the moving targets now the industry shift when we shift with industries we we do that with thought and with strategy not with impulse and add so i'm listening what's the goal is opinion clear is it moving or stable and then the final kind of piece of what's the goal I'm listening for when they answer me, when I'm coaching this leader, or you're asking yourself internally, is it spoken or ignored? And what I mean by that, that we put the goal up on the chart at the beginning of the year or the end of last year. And we never talked about it again, like literally we've talked about everything but that. And now, oh, I'm looking at the clock and I realize, wow, this person is doing terrible on that one thing. And yet I've had a hundred hours of conversation with them and never brought it up once. That's a problem. That's a problem because you essentially made the goal something else. You're back to the moving thing, and it was whatever you were talking about during the hundred hours. When that's the issue, I'm like, yeah, it's your fault. Hopefully, you don't, you know, have a trigger on the word fault. Go into repair on that. And the repair on that one's easy. It's clarity. Restate, reagree, re-clarify, set a new timeline, go. Now the other branch on my fault sometimes they say i followed up and i did this but i don't think i gave them great training i think i could have been a little more hands-on i could have been a little bit more over their shoulder i could have been around i could have trained them better that kind of thing i'm going to push back on that one a little bit and if you listen to i think it was episode four where i got into resourcefulness the legacy and i'm obsessed with people having their own resourcefulness I'm going to say to the leader in this world, if they were clear on what they needed to achieve and we're in the YouTube world or we're in the Udemy world or we're in the like internet world, they don't lack resources. They lack resourcefulness. They should be able to find the answer. And some leaders struggle with that. And and it could be a little hero syndrome. And I'm like, just going to remind them, if you're the prophet, And the expert of all things in your organization, you are the ceiling. You don't want that. There's no way for you to be the expert at every category of your business. What you do want is teach them how to go out and maybe you connect them with other resources. Yet I'm going to push back on that one and say, did they know, did you ever set an expectation for them to go get their own training? No, I didn't really do that. Okay. Naturally you would. And if I stopped and I asked you right now, you're a high achiever, who trained you? How much training do you get on your job? It's amazing how many high achievers I'm talking to who are trying to tell me that they don't think they train their person. And I said, who trained you? And they crush it. You know, this is a big producer, big whatever, big money maker. And oh man, I had to learn that on my own. I had a school of hard knocks. I'm like, exactly. That's who you want. And, and that's the real world. Yes, we have an obligation to develop people. Yes, we have an obligation to train people. More than that, we have an obligation to remind people that they're in a world that has plenty of answers. And our job as a steward of leadership is to just help them find those resources and make sure those resources align with our ultimate goal. In other words, like I wouldn't want them learning a model that has nothing to do with this. That's going to be a waste of time or learning from something that's not proven because that's going to waste their time. Or I might be okay with it if there's enough time in the clock, because let them fail a little bit, stumble, and then come back and say, Hey, is there a better way to do this? Do you know a better model? Sure. Glad you asked. So that's how I'm going to move out of my fault. Either get clarity, give clarity. Training. I don't think so. I think it's remind them of resourcefulness. Now let's talk about the second channel. I think there's need more time. I think they just need more time. That's the performance issue. I'm going to say possible. Depending on like the last conversation. Now with more time cannot be more time as is. In other words, I'm gonna say, I agree, maybe this individual needs more time. However, it it comes with an asterisk. More time after you add more clarity, after you clarified that the numbers 10, it's not better or more efficient. You went from opinion to clear. After You set the expectation of them getting training, coming back, reporting back after that training is added. So one of the other ingredients must be added. And then I'm going to go further than that. And I'm going to say, as a leader, I want you to think about this almost like the old days of probation or PIP, performance improvement plan. Think in those terms. Okay, we're going to add some time to the clock with this new ingredient of clarity and training, or you getting training, or I'm providing training, whatever it may be. And we're going to agree that if the number's 10, you're going to be at six by this date, eight by this date, 10 by this date. And I'm going to set some milestones short-term along that path, because what I'm trying to figure out in that situation is I've got to get this person to this ultimate place of performance. And the ultimate place of performance is I know exactly what number I need to hit. I know where to get the training and I'm choosing not to do it. I know what needs to be done and I'm fighting the internal battle of not doing it. Now I know that rings to all of us because we've all been there. We all have the procrastination moment. We've all let ourselves down. Yeah, I know I should stick to the diet and I keep eating that cookies. All right. That's me talking to myself that the, we all have that. So don't wear that heavily. However, I would bet the farm that if you're successful, you have, you, you've overcome that enough to win, where there are some people that are still stuck in that. And as much as we love them and want to help them, we may not be able to help them through getting up and taking action. Those go into the realm of, I call their parents should have taught them that one. As much as I would love to help them with take action, Do what I'm supposed to do. I don't expect anybody to do that 100%. I don't do it 100%. I do expect it more than zero. I'm going to probably release that person back to the world. So that's ultimately where we're getting to. So clear, they're deciding not to do it. So only more time on the clock if clarity and training is added, short-term goals and milestones become the other ingredient. Think probation. Now let's go to the last channel. Do I have the wrong person? It's like the one we want to avoid half the time. Do I have the wrong person? And it is noble, by the way, as a leader to say, blame yourself first. I agree. Everything rises and falls on leadership. You should go through that progression. Here's the mind bin. Do I have the wrong person? And I've given you every once in a while, I'll give you what I call mind bending leadership pillar. This is an MBL p- MBL pillar. So write this one down. No wrong people, only wrong roles. There are no wrong people only wrong roles. We should put that on a t-shirt. No wrong people, only wrong roles. That's a mind-bending leadership pillar. And that's the conversation I eventually led to. And as a leader, I want you to get into that mind space. There are no wrong people, only wrong roles for those people. I fundamentally believe God put every single person on this earth and gifted them with enough talents to go and fulfill those gifts into the world in certain ways and certain mechanisms, certain industries. I think there's flexibility in that. And yet there are, there is a place, there is a role. There is an excellence for all human beings. I fundamentally believe that. So when I'm to this point of, oh yeah, it's clear, this isn't gonna work in performance. I take on, this is the right person, I've got the wrong role. Now, I even do that in hiring. So if I'm interviewing somebody and we get to the end, I'll be like, you're the right person, I have the wrong job for you, so you don't want this. You're going to hate it, you're going to be miserable. Everything that we've talked about is clear. You want freedom, autonomy, this, that. I plan on locking you in a closet. And stick you in a desk in the dark and meet no other people. And you want like freedom, autonomy, and a whole bunch of social surroundings. So you're going to hate. This isn't, are you good enough? Or do you have the skills? This is, you're going to hate this. You're the right person at the wrong job. Now, I still believe that when we're in a performance issue, this is not about the person. This is about the job. And I've got the right person, wrong job, which is whose fault? My fault. So that's why everything does rise and fall in leadership. We lie to ourselves. When we try to stick to the first one, it's my fault I didn't follow up and I did not have enough accountability, maybe they need more training. And it's the wrong role and all the clarity and accountability and follow-up and training and you over their shoulder in the world is not going to make it better. And I shared with this person I was coaching a very real powerful moment in my leadership journey that I've shared with some folks before. And it goes back to I was the owner of this business, and this is the person I have in charge of the business, in charge of growing it, and it was through recruiting, adding people. And this individual actually was number one in the world, like literally was, had won an award as number one in the world, going on almost 24 months now in a very large organization that succeeded at that. So literally number one in the world at that job is working for me in this role and I would meet with this leadership team on this business every single Monday and we go through their numbers and the truth be told, I got lax. So it was my fault. I got lax on digging into the pipeline of leads and sales and who's coming up and where's everybody at. I used to do that every week and this individual was so good. We had gotten to the, I got it, I got it. And I'm good with that. I don't love holding people accountable. I'm good with that. Earn that space. So here we are and it was I remember October 21st like 2018 and I and, and the goal for this individual was no less than 10 people added to this organization every single month. And never missed that. Not like not one month ever had missed that. The end of week 1 there's only one person added. Oh, that's a little bit of a warning sign. He's I like, don't worry, dude. I got it. I got it. Cool. You've <laughs> he's earned that. Oh, I trust. I believe. End of week two. Only one person. I'm like, all right. This is a concern. Like I'm officially like nervous. Man, I'm the guy that uh, I got. It, I got it. Okay, cool. And and he believed that. It wasn't lying. He, he really believed that. End of week three. One person still. Now at this point. I'm not in the meeting, I'm actually on the phone, I'm I'm in an airport getting ready to go uh, teach somewhere. And I'm on a conference call, which is probably not the best way to have a high stakes conversation with an entire leadership team of the people that work for him. So you may not wanna copy that part of this conversation. Yet I'm like, time out. And, And the individual's like, okay, now I'm worried, I don't know that we're gonna hit 10. And I said, one sentence. Are you sure this is the right role for you? And you could feel the tension in the air. It was, the silence was deafening because the whole team is listening. I'm on a phone. I would not have loved that situation yet. It was what it was. Are you sure the right person for the role? Are you sure this is still the right role for you? And there was this weird silence, like I said, and then a pushback. I think it's the right role for me. I'm literally number one in the world. Yeah, I think it is the right role for me. And I said, are you sure? Because the role requires 10 and you're saying that you don't think you're going to get 10. So I don't, I don't know. Is this still the right role for you? Are you sure about that? And it was awkward. And where the conversation went was the title of our, my Mining leadership, episode number five, you and I are good. You and the role are not good. You and I are good. You and the role are not good. I love you. I love you like a brother. We're in this together. That's cool. You and I are 100%, more than 100% good. You and that role have a problem. And that's where we want to get to as leadership. That comes from a place of love. You can hear that as, ooh, Seth is a hard ass on numbers. No, let me tell you why. It is because if you go back, I think I shared in episode two, our journey, it's the very first thing I start with any organization that I have either ownership in or that brings me in to consult or coach. Let's identify your mission and vision very clearly. Like, Why are you even exist? Why are you doing this? What's it all about? And we had that clearly defined. The very next thing is like, okay, let's quantify some goals. How will we know that we're trending that way, making that impact? We've got to put measurement. Our goal is transforming lives. What mechanism do we do that in? We do it by adding people, increasing their success. Okay, let's set goals. How many people? How much increased success? We've got to measure our effectiveness towards this mission. Then the very next step is you create roles that exist for those goals. I covered this in episode two. And the big three to five big rocks of every role must add up to hitting that. So when The number is not 10. The role requires 10. Why? Otherwise we're not transforming lives. We're letting down the generations. I said one month isn't, is okay. Okay. Where's the line? Is one month okay to miss? Two months okay to miss? Is one life not being transformed? Are you okay with that? What if that's the one that makes a generational impact? And it, and it, If we have the capacity to do it, we've already proven that. If it's a number nobody's ever hit, we've never done before, yeah, maybe I'll question that. Maybe we'll change it. But when we've done it all the time, we've never missed, never come close to missing, then we're probably applying our minutes to something else. And when I say yes to that, then I've allowed that role to not be about that. And I now have allowed the mission to not be what it really is. So back to it. You and I are good. I love you. You and the role are not good. Are you sure this is still the right role for you? And he finished with 11. Never had that worry again. And as I've shared that before with his permission publicly, and in one time, once or twice, he was in the room when I shared it in a class and people were like, oh man, you must've hated him. Uh, tell us, And I didn't know what he was going to say. He can say anything once. He's, listen, tell you the truth. I was pissed. I was offended. I was mad. That was my first reaction. And then... I knew Seth cared. He wasn't saying it wasn't about the numbers to him. It was about the lives. And at that moment, I got more respect for Seth than I ever had in my entire life because I realized this mission really does mean something to him. And I'm bought into this mission as a leader, and he's standing for the mission. And that's the kind of leader I want to follow. So as a leader... Many times the reason why we avoid that conversation of performance is because we are making it about the person being wrong. It's uncomfortable. We're going to be mean. What are they going to think of me? What am I going to think of them? And if we can get to this separation, you and I are good. You and that role are not good. Now, I love you enough to help you be better at that or help you find the role that is better for you. That's being a good steward of leadership and a great, and think about the importance of this. I'll give you two analogies. One is military, I think is a brilliant thing to study when you're talking about team building and how people work together. If we're in a unit of six people and your job is this and my job is that, what happens if I don't do my job? Your life is on the line. You should yell at me. You should call me out. I shouldn't have that role because people could die. You could die. This is not life and death usually. However, it's, it's the concept. The roles matter. Your performance of that role has consequences beyond, oh, we missed that number. Oh, you missed that You know, enemy that came up the rear and we lost two people. Numbers have consequences. The, the other way I, I like to look at this that might help you is think about the, and I'm weird where I, I study these analogies. I speak in analogies. It's weird, I know. Think about the, the judicial system. Think about a judge. And, and if a judge, if you're in the courtroom and you have committed a crime, the judge isn't taking that personally. The judge can still love you. It'd be like, hey, you didn't violate anything that bothers me, maybe. You violated the law. The law says you can't do that. You and I are cool. You and the law have a problem. And the law pre-states that this is what happens when you violate that and you can keep moving. So it's like that. You and I are good. Yeah. And I'm going to say it to him. Like, I'm okay with less than 10. Seth is. The role's not. The mission's not. And my role as the owner is to make sure that happens. And I don't want to have a problem with my role. So you and I are good. I love you. You have negative 10. I still love you. You're the role, not in love. What are you gonna do? So that becomes this place where we can be put ourselves in this acceptance of another mind-mitting leadership pillar. Is leadership is stewardship. Leadership is stewardship, it's not ownership, it's not ego. It's, it's stewardship. Stewardship is, I've been placed in charge of this land, these people, these children, these, this money. I'm, I've been placed in stewardship of it. Take care of it. Cultivate it. Make it more prosperous. Make it fruitful. Leadership is stewardship. You have an obligation to be a wise steward. And that means loving people enough to help them into their destiny. And when you do that, and you do that fiercely, that's how you shift generations. And that's what mind-bending leadership is all about. Find, get yourself to a place. When people are clear on their roles, we help them. We steward them. We coach them. We consult them. And when they are the right person in the wrong role, we go right at that. And we either help them get back on track with their role, or we help them find the role that is better for them. And that might be outside our world, outside our organization. And that's perfectly okay. That's called being a wise steward. So, in that case, he was the right person for that role, for that season, got back on track and forever looked at the business and the driving of a mission very differently. And remember, driving the mission. That's how you make a generational impact. So with that, I will let you go build your leadership. Thanks for listening.